Well, we are, in, uh, we are in a new series called Welcome to the Party. Welcome to the Party. And uh, we titled it this because in Luke 15, the way that God describes his grace and the way that he describes his goodness and the way that he just uh, attempts to communicate to us how he feels about us, how he feels towards us, his acceptance of us, is he symbolizes it and he does it symbolically through a party. And so this entire series um, is based around the idea that possibly grace is a whole lot bigger than you originally thought, that possibly um, God has a grace for you that is so abundant, that is so full, that is so extravagant that we would compare it and that he would compare it to something like a magnificent party. And um, if you have been around the church world for a while, you've heard the word grace, you've seen people with, you know, what would Jesus do bracelets, and then you've also seen people with, you know, like grace bracelets, and you're like, cool, you know, and you know it's a good word, and you use it sometimes like, he gives me grace, you know, but, <laughs> but deep down, deep down, does it have the power and the control and the, um, the ability to bring sanctification and empowerment in your life the way that God intends grace to do. And uh, we are going to spend a good amount of time just delving into this thing called grace. And I'm so excited for this series. And so please, please, please don't miss this series. Just hang out. Um, enjoy it. Um, Luke 15 reads this in verse 22. It says, The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast. And let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but he is alive again. He is lost, but now he has found and then they began to celebrate and my translation is and so they began to party this entire series is based around the idea that we belong to a God who is so great who is so loving who is so magnificent and who owns all things that he would offer us something and a, a party and a lifestyle and a heart mentality that is so full that we have only begun to grasp it in our 20s, okay? And so I'm so excited, and so I wanted to ask you this first question as we kind of get into tonight and um, as we delve into God's word. And the first question I have for you is this, is how extravagant is God's goodness? Like, if you were to analyze that for yourself right now. If you were to think about God and what you know of God or maybe what you don't know of God, in your opinion, how extravagant is his goodness tonight? And the second question I have for you is this. If God's grace is a party, if God's goodness is a party, then are you sitting outside of the party right now? Are you sitting outside the party right now? And so I titled tonight, The God Who Throws Parties. The God Who Throws Parties. Let's bow and ask Jesus to be here. God, I love you. I love that um, you're better than I could ask for or imagine. And I pray that tonight um, that you would just be on display, that your goodness would be on display, that your abundance and how loving and accepting and welcoming you are. God, I set myself aside. God, use the stage. Use your word. It's holy. Um, we're thankful for it. We lift you up tonight. We thank you for every single volunteer that made this happen, that made this possible tonight. And for every single soul that's in this room, God, we pray for them. God, be with them tonight in a unique way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.
All right, so how many of you believe in uh, birth order theory? Some of you nerds in here, oh my gosh. Birth order theory. All right, so basically what birth, I'm way into it. I think it's so awesome. I'll find people who are married, and they'll be like, yeah, we're married, and we have a really great marriage. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, are you a youngest? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, are you an oldest? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, birth order. Mm-hmm. Um, love birth order. If you don't know what it is, it's basically this. It's that psychologists a few years ago, a few decades ago, discovered that based on when you were born in the order of your family, whether you're the oldest, the middle, or the youngest, you have some basic traits that all youngest, all middles, and all oldest are pretty much defined by. And so if you're an oldest child in here, can you just rave? Yeah, hey. Sup, my people. Sup, my people. Somebody booed you. You Forgive your brother, dog. Forgive your brother. All right? Um, All right, some... Some characteristics, according to Purdue University, are that you are a perfectionist, you are an achiever, you are a goal-oriented list maker, you are self-sacrificing, you are critical, dang, Um, you are a believer in authority, you're like, that's right, you're in trouble. And that police officer says so. You are a, poli- you are a people pleaser. You like law and order. Like, not the, not the show, because who likes that show? But you like, you like law and order. Like, you know, you like order. And um, you are slightly legalistic. Okay, and I am an oldest person, and so I can appreciate this list. Middle children in the room. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of you. Nice. Wow. Impressed. All right. Here you go. Here you go. You are you are a mediator, right? Because you had an older sibling that's like, I always get what I want. And then you had a younger sibling that's like, I'm spoiled and I'm the baby. And so you were like, I gotta, I gotta mediate this. You all right? That's you middle middle children in here. You avoid conflict. You are extremely loyal to a peer group. You have lots of friends. Uh, you are sometimes misunderstood. <laughs> you guys. Uh you're balanced and you give and take. All right, and then uh, who do we have in here? Who's the babies of the family? You guys, if you only knew how your reaction actually fits perfectly into this. Gosh. All right, here we go. You are outgoing. You are sometimes absent-minded. Okay. You are carefree and passionate. You are affectionate, but sometimes rebellious. Uh, You are spoiled sometimes. (laughs) Of course you're going to say no. Who says yes to that? You are impatient and you are charming, and sometimes you are a personable manipulator. Is this true about you? Nice. All right. Awesome. All right. So... (laughs) So growing up, my sister and I, I was the oldest, she was the youngest. We typified these stereotypes, okay? I was the rule follower. I never, ever got in trouble. I I think I got grounded once, and, like, my mom was like, forget about it. Like, it was totally dumb. I'm sorry. You know? Um, I never got spanked. My sister, on the other hand, like, she would just be crossing the room, and my mom would be like, come here. I'm just going to get you. I'm just going to spank you because you're that naughty. And so... So the two of us were just totally different. She was kind of wild. Um, she got arrested when she was 13. Like, like, it was just different, right? We just grew up differently. And so 
So I am in college and I am put in charge on, on Christmas break. I am put in charge of making sure that my sister, you know, I'm, I'm whatever, I'm 18, 19 years old. My sister is in high school. She's probably 16 at this point. And so I'm in charge of making sure that, you know, the house is cool and like my sister doesn't do anything crazy. And so I leave to go visit a friend and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be back. Like, don't do anything crazy. And she's like, okay, bye. And I'm like, sweet. I go, I come back like literally two hours later and it's nighttime and my headlights are pulling into the long driveway and um, we've got this like little ravine that runs underneath our driveway down our long driveway and there's a truck like endowed into it and I'm like, that wasn't there when I left and um, pull up into, and there's like 15 cars in front of my parents' house and I can hear music and I'm like, oh no, oh no, you know, because I like law and order and so... I roll into the house, and I kid you not, I take five steps into the house that's just blaring music, and I don't know what was on the carpet, but it was so wet that, like, it went up over my sandals. And I was like, gross, dude, what is this? <laughs> I get downstairs, and um, I get downstairs, and, like, she doesn't even care because, like, youngest, you don't care. Like, you're just like, it's all about the party. Like, I don't care. And so I get downstairs, and it's like, douche, 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 douche. And she's like, Jess! And I'm like, no. No, dude, there's 50 people downstairs, and as I round the corner, I see that somebody, maybe my sister herself, has actually kicked a soccer ball through the drywall. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you are in, you are in such big trouble. You know, and then, but you're su she's such a good personable manipulator that I, I swear to you, my mom calls 20 minutes later. My sister rushes to the phone before I can get to it. And she says, oh, hey, mom, yeah. Oh, no, we just have a few friends over. No, everything's going to be just fine, like staring right at me. And she's like, yeah, everything's going just great. She hangs up the phone, calls a contractor that's going to come out and fix the drywall, gets it all fixed up before my parents even come home. And, I, and she never got caught. And I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the difference between the two of us, but my goodness, I, I, I am in awe of her. I'm in awe of you younger siblings. But here's the deal. In scripture, uh, God describes two different siblings, but it's actually him describing two different types of hearts with which we come to God with. And one is a perfectionist and one is a wild child. And both of them come to God with some issues. One of them comes to God and says, God, I believe that you will give to me when I earn it. And one comes to God and says, God, I believe that you will withhold from me when I do wrong. And both of them do not understand the grace and the goodness of their God. If you have your Bible... Go ahead and turn to Luke 15. This is where we're going to hang out for the rest of tonight. It says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. All right. So right from the beginning, I love this because scripture is so eloquent, you guys. If you just consume God's word, he does everything with perfection. And so he even begins this story in perfection. And he gives you two people groups right from the beginning. And he says, you've got the tax collectors and the sinners who love being with Jesus, even though they're nothing like Jesus. And then you have this other group of people called the Pharisees. Now, the tax collectors were men, and uh, mostly men of the day, in first century Judea, uh, Hellenism, which was uh, 
a kind of a way of integrating people into their society that was enacted by Alexander the Great. He had overtaken Israel at this point. And uh, his goal wasn't just to overtake Israel. He wanted to make them like him, okay? And so at the toppling of his empire, of the Macedonian Empire, the Roman Empire takes over, and they're the same way. They kind of take on Hellenism in their own way. And they don't just want Jews to be like Jews. They want Jews to be like them. And so in the wake of all of this, they force some Jews and they ask some Jews, most of them they just ask, and they say, would you be willing to tax your own people? Would you be willing to tax your own people? And um, you can take as big of a cut as you want, okay, for yourself. And, and these Jews have essentially drank the Kool-Aid. They want to be rich. They want to be powerful. They want to be like the Romans. And so they kind of forsake their own people and they begin to tax their own people. They are hated by society. They are the black sheep of society, and they are hanging out with Jesus. Nobody likes them, and they're hanging out with Jesus. And then we've got this other set of people called the sinners, okay? Tax collectors and sinners. And the sinners are um, kind of mixed in there, and sinners in first century Judea would be anybody who was outwardly different, who had a limp, who had some type of deformity, who had diseases, and they would look at them and they would say, well, either your family sinned or either you sinned, but one of you is sinners because otherwise why would you be stricken with this type of curse? And they, they would say that people who were outwardly um, sinful like prostitutes and the like, they would be sinners. And so Jesus is hanging out with these people, the tax collectors and the sinners, the wild children or so they thought of the day. And then there's this other uh, group of people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, we give them a bad rap and we think they are so unmerciful and they're a bunch of hypocrites and we say things like, you're a Pharisee and it's like a burn. And if you don't come to church, like that's like the worst thing. You could just say it to somebody as you leave here, you Pharisee, you know, and it's like, did you just give me the bird? Like that was so rude, you know? And, um, but we, we don't understand Pharisees. Like, Pharisees of their day were um, essentially trying to, with the, with the uproot of their culture through Hellenism, and then with the Roman Empire overseeing them, they were trying their best with the formation of the Sanhedrin to protect their God, their religion, and their way of life. That was why they were formed. But over time, they just got away. And it it was a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts, and they're just trying to do the right thing. And we have these two groups of people who completely don't understand the grace and the love of God. And Jesus gets to speak to both of them. And it says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathered around, but the Pharisees said to the teachers of the law, and they muttered, This man welcomes sinners with them. And eats with them. And so then Jesus told them this parable. And Jesus goes on to tell three separate parables to make one point. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, how many of you, if you own a bunch of sheep and none of us own sheep, but everybody back then owned sheep. And he said, how many of you, if you own sheep and you have 101 goes missing, you would take off and you would do everything you can in order to find it. And he says, and when you find it, you bring it home and you gather all of your friends and all of your closest people in your life and you throw a party because you're so happy that you found the sheep. And then he says, Or for how many of you, if you have a coin or a woman has a coin in her home of of silver, she's got 10 coins of silver and she loses one, would she not go and upturn every piece of furniture within her house and search for it and get her lamp out and make sure that she burns the midnight oil in order to retrieve this piece of silver? And when she does, she throws a party. And God is essentially saying through these two parables, this is how I feel 
when something of mine, particularly a son or a daughter of mine, gets lost. This is how I feel towards them. I will do anything I can to go after them and to find them. And when I find them, I will bring them home. And my grace is so good and my grace is so bountiful that we're going to have a party. This is how I feel towards my kids. And then he begins to tell the final parable. Not the parable of the lost sheep or the lost coin, but the parable of the lost son. And he says this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all together what he had, what he had and set off for a distant country where, they squandered, where he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. All right, so in every parable that Jesus would ever tell, there was always two figures you were looking to identify, and any Jew would know this. They were listening to his story, and there was always one figure that represented God. And in this particular story, it's the father. And so father represents God in this story. And then the second job of the Jew during the day would be to identify which character you were in the story. And so we have two different sons. The first one is the younger son, and the second one is the older son that we don't hear about as much in the beginning. And so tonight, what I would love for you to do is to identify God as the father, and then I would love for you to identify as either the younger son or the older son, and which you relate to the most. The younger son gathers together everything that he has from his father. He asks for his estate early, which is just a whole different sermon for a whole different day. But he asks for his father's estate and his share of his estate early, and his father gives him everything. He says, of course, that's fine. He gives him everything. There's no you know, squabble between them. And then he takes off. And what I find so interesting about this is that the son, because he doesn't trust his father's heart towards him or his goodness towards him or all the good things he has prepared for him, he takes everything ahead of time and he goes and he attempts to throw himself a party. Doesn't this sound like us? We don't always trust God we don't trust his goodness towards us. We don't trust his heart towards us. We don't know how much he loves us and how many good things he has stored up for us. And so we take matters into our own hands because there's certain things that we're wanting in life. Maybe for you, you know, God has told you, I've given you a hope and a future. I've got plans for you that there is a husband or there is a wife in your future and they are going to be your partner in crime and you're going to pursue your calling with them. But it's not happening right now and you begin to distrust him, and you want intimacy, and you're lonely, and so you find a man, or you find a woman, and you find intimacy on your own terms. Maybe for you, it's that you know that God is your provider, or you've heard that God is your provider, but you don't trust that he is good towards you. And so you start to manipulate your way at work, and you take out a bunch of credit cards and you start buying the things that you want because there is a lifestyle that you deserve. Or maybe for you, it's that you just want to take everything into your own hands and create your own party on your own terms. The younger son says, I don't trust you, Dad. 
essentially. So can I have my money now? And I'm going to do this my way. So he takes off. And what I think is so interesting about this is that we as humans are always attempting to create within ourselves and to create within our lives something that only God can create for us. And when he realizes that it's hopeless and that he's not only fiscally bankrupt, but he is internally bankrupt as well, he has a moment where he realizes it's better to go home to my dad and be a slave than to eat pig food. I'm going home. And so he heads home to meet his dad. It goes on and it says this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm here starving to death? I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. There's that word again, worthy. I'm not worthy. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring a fattened calf and kill it. Excuse me, which would be like awesome. It'd be like, get like really expensive caterer in Denver and bring him in. It's like, it's like what that is. Get that big old fat cow out there. That's what that is. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. And so they began to party. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of his servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because um, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother the brother of yours was dead but is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. Three stories. God is the father, and he says, this is how I feel about my kids when they're lost. I will do anything in order to find them. And once I find them, I'm bringing my, them home with me. And when they come home to me, my grace is so good, and, my, and, and my, my extravagance towards them is so huge that I don't just welcome them back home and say, here's a job, son, now work it off. I throw them a party. That's how I feel about my kids. And then we have these two people who don't go into the party. We've got these two siblings who won't go into the party. We've got the prodigal or the younger son, and he won't go into the party because he feels so bankrupt. He feels so unworthy. He's just lost everything. There is nothing that he has to give his father. There is no good thing within him. He knows that. He doesn't need his father to tell him. He can tell his father himself. He's got a speech prepared for him. He knows how terrible he is in this moment. And so he won't go into the party because he doesn't believe he deserves a party. 
And we've got another son, the older son, who won't go into the party because he believes that the younger son doesn't deserve a party. He thinks that any time that God should bless or that the father should bless or that the father should be giving things, it should be out of an earning. There should be someone that's earning a party here. The only reason we should throw a party is if somebody graduated with their MBA or like got incredible grades or like worked really hard and got a promote. Why are we throwing him a party? He didn't earn anything. One feels like they are completely undeserving of the party. And the other feels like there is nothing there that deserves a party. Father's throwing this awesome, awesome celebration and nobody wants to go. And so I want to ask you again tonight, are you sitting outside of his goodness for you? Are you sitting outside of the party? And is it because you're like one of them? Is it because you are like the younger son and maybe you've got some self-deprecation going on? You don't believe you're good enough. You don't believe you're deserving. There's nothing in your life that says that you're making high marks. And so, so why should there be a part of you? Why should God's goodness come to you? There's another set of you in here who don't go into the party because you aren't self-deprecating, but you are self-righteous. And you won't go into the party because you believe that the only people allowed in the party are people who earn the party. You got to earn that party. You got to earn that blessing with God. You got to earn that favor with God. And yet, God calls grace his unmerited favor. Are you standing outside the party? There's the last three points I want to make as we close out tonight. And I'm just praying that God just speaks to each of you right where you're at. And the first thing is this, is that some of us in here, we choose pig troughs over the party. We choose pig troughs over the party. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? But here I am starving to death. I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Have you said that to God? I don't deserve to be your kid. I don't deserve to be your child. And so I'm going to go home and I'm going to be your slave. And so he got up and he went home to his father. The younger son comes home and he feels terrible about himself. I mean, you got to think that people probably spoke great things over this kid's life before he left. Kid, you're going somewhere. You've got great, great life ahead of you. Man, you are so talented. And when he goes and he squanders his life away, he doesn't just lose time and resources and money. He loses his dignity. When he comes home, he's got nothing left. And he comes home in that bankrupt spirit. What I think is so amazing about this story is it says, while he was still a long way off, and I picture um, kind of this like mountain home or like a mountainside home, and I picture um, the father, the only way he could have seen the son coming is if he had waited for him to come home. And I picture the father like washing dishes and kind of like looking out the window like, Maybe he's going to come home today. Or like pitching, you know, some hay in the back and kind of peeking around the house every now and then. I picture him, you know, getting ready for bed at night and like leaving a couple lights on downstairs. The only way that this father sees him at a distance is if he was actually looking for him and waiting for him to come home. And this is our father 
towards us. And while he was a long way off, the father sprints out to meet him. And the kid's ready. He's all prepped. He's like, I'm going to tell you what a wretch I am. The father doesn't even notice. It says he throws, he throws his arms around his son. And he begins to kiss his face. And he just just is mauling him. Sometimes I'll get home from work and, um, and I'll walk in the door and I always round the corner first and Brooklyn's normally in the living room and I look at her and I go, oh. and that means like, run away because I'm going to come get you. And, and she starts sprinting, which is like in baby world is just like up and down kind of, you know? Um, and I scoop her up and then I kiss her soft cheeks over and over and over again and I'm so glad to be home and I'm so glad she's home and sometimes she like pushes me away to just be like, well, that's enough, you know? <laughs> He's so grateful that his son is home. But the son internally, he doesn't feel like the father should be kissing him. He feels like the father, if anything, should be withholding affection from him. Because he did wrong. And here's the reality of the story that we sometimes pass by, guys. He did do wrong. <laughs> he did mess up. And it was big. And sometimes we just breeze right by that, like, it was no big deal. He sinned, but whatever. God loves you. No, he did do wrong. And there's a whole bunch of us in here who did do wrong and have done wrong. We've mistreated people. We've had unforgiveness and bitterness pent up in our hearts. We've we've manipulated or hurt other believers and, and people in our lives, his kids. We've swindled or we've been inappropriate with money. We've been inappropriate with our bodies. And we have done wrong. And then you meet Jesus. And there's something in you that truly believes that he would be better off punishing you so that you could earn your keep than just going on in to the party. The son, the younger son, remains self-deprecating. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His dad is trying to welcome him in. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. I got to tell you everything that I've done wrong. Can I just explain to you where I'm depraved? Let me explain to you why I don't deserve your goodness, God. Let me explain to you why I don't deserve your party, Dad. And we feel this self-deprecation like I'm not good enough, I don't deserve, I don't measure up. And we feel as though we deserve pig troughs. I remember a few years back, John and I got to work with a, a church plant that Red Rocks did downtown. And it was so awesome. And we would get down there and we would, it was church in a box. We would set up in a theater downtown um, in the pavilions and then we would tear it down at the end of the day. And it was so rad. And we got to work with all different types of people and downtown, and, you know, young professionals and things like that. And then we got to also work with a bunch of um, different homeless people. 
And uh, there was a group within our body that um, worked with Christ Body Ministries, which is a ministry that helps um, give them food and shelter and housing and get them into a house, get them into an apartment, help them get back on their feet, give them clothes, give them um, career advice, help them with resumes, get them jobs. Like the whole night, like the whole night. Like, you want the American dream? Like, we're going to help you get there. Like, you want, you want the big things? You got the big dreams? Like, you got the big hopes? You got the big ambitions? Like, we can help you get there. And I remember sometimes John and I would sit down with um, some women or some men from the streets, and we would be like, hey, we know a ton of people that can help you, and they would love to help you. And I swear, 90% of the time, we would talk to these people. And they would say, oh, that's so great. But let me tell you, about all the things I've done wrong. And let me tell you about my sorry life and why I don't really deserve, I don't know if I deserve anything that you're talking about. And in their posture, they were saying, I would rather talk about my story. I'd rather talk about all the ways that I fall short and all the ways that God has done me wrong than talk about entering in to his goodness. And I wonder how many of us tonight Believe sincerely in our heart of hearts that if we have done wrong, then God should be withholding from us. That if we have done wrong, God should be withholding from us. That there is no reason for us to go into the party. And so what we do instead is we stay in our own little spaces and we kind of throw these small little pity parties instead. But whatever the reason, whatever the reason, some of us stay outside of his party and God is just waiting for someone to come inside. I picture this dad like hugging and kissing him and I picture like if this was Brooklyn and she was older and then she was like, no, 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 like I don't want your love. Like, get off me. Um, let me tell you, you know, mom, why, I, why I'm terrible. And, and I don't want to go to your party, mom, because I don't deserve it. And I literally, I might like, I might even like smack her like, and just be like, I'm making you a, like, it's all yours. Philip Yancey puts it this way. The story of the prodigal son, after all, appears in a string of three stories by Jesus. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, all of which seem to make the same point. Each underscores the loser's sense of loss, tells the thrill of rediscovery, and ends in a scene of jubilation. Jesus says, in effect, do you want to know what it feels like to be God? When one of these two-legged humans pay attention to me, it feels like I've reclaimed my most valuable possession, which I had given up as lost. To God himself, it feels like the discovery of a lifetime. He looks at his son and he's like, no way, son. You are not going to be a slave in my household. Thank you very much. You are my son. And so come inside. Are you choosing the pig troughs over sonship, over daughtership tonight? Number two, are you choosing the slave fields over the party? The older son has a different party or different problem. He too believes that the party is like for a completely undeserved reason. And his problem is he doesn't want to go in because essentially he's jealous. It goes on and it says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The other older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now you have to understand this older brother's plight before we get too judgmental of him and before we think he's unmerciful and he's got all these problems. Because in all actuality, um, he actually makes the most sense out of this entire 
entire story. Like he's looking at the younger son and he has worked, since the younger son has left, he has worked the fields for the last couple of years. He's been loyal to his dad. He's taken care of his father's affair. He's been a good son. He's been faithful and loyal and kind. He's taken care of all of his employees and he's worked hard for his dad. And then he sees his idiotic brother come home and all of a sudden his dad is throwing a party for him. And he goes to his dad, and this is in the verse just following this. And he says, what is your problem, dad? Why are you throwing him a party? He doesn't deserve a party. He hasn't earned a party. And then he says, haven't I worked hard for you? Have you ever said this to the Lord? Haven't I worked hard for you, dad? Haven't I been available to you? Haven't I been obedient? Haven't I been, you know, good to you? And you never so much as even gave me a goat for my friends. You didn't even give me a little party, and yet you gave him everything. He says, I'm so angry, I'm not going inside. And this young man, he doesn't struggle with self-deprecation, and that's not the reason he doesn't go in. He struggles with this thing called self-justification or self-righteousness, where he believes you can actually earn the goodness of God. And I think there's a couple of um, things that we can look at within ourselves tonight and say these are two things that can help us identify if this is something that we're struggling with. And the first thing is this. Just like the older said, we lack compassion for sinners. We lack compassion for sinners. We look at them and sometimes like the older brother, he looks at his brother and he's like, well, you got what you deserve, bro. Like, look at what you did with your life. Look at the choices you made. Like, you know, you reap what you sow. And he has no compassion. And I think sometimes when we are self-righteous, we have this tendency to look at other people. And when they fall short, we're like, oh, well, it's probably because you did A, B, and C with your money. Oh, that's probably because you made A, B, and C choices with that girl. And there's no compassion towards the sinner. Number two, I think that we can identify within ourselves that we have a self-righteous attitude. If we look at someone else and we struggle to celebrate blessing in their life. Or when we secretly celebrate failure in their life. The older son, you got to think if there was no party and the younger son just came home. The older son would have looked at him and he would have like kind of probably been a little bit happy. Because he failed. Not outwardly, of course. Outwardly, he'd be like, I'm so sorry. That totally sucks. But inwardly, he'd be like, see, I actually did achieve a little bit better than you did. And sometimes, as humans, we struggle to celebrate the blessings of other people. And here's what I believe about this. It's because we actually think that God only has a certain amount of goodness to go around. And if goodness is happening to this girl, or if blessing is happening to this guy, or if blessing is happening to this person, and they didn't really necessarily earn it, then all of a sudden my goodness and my party is threatened. Because is there really enough goodness and enough party and enough abundance and enough of God's grace to go around? He says, I don't want to go into the party. And then I think it's so interesting because he says this. He says, Dad, you never so much as gave me a goat. And I was reading that this week, and I thought to myself, this is our idea. 
as humans of a party. We look at God and we're like, I'd love a goat with my friends. You know? And he's like, do you have any idea who I am? Do you have any idea how good I am towards you? I'm not going to give you a goat for your friends, a young goat, a little wimpy goat. I'm going to give you a cow. I'm going to give you rings. I'm going to give you a robe. I'm going to give you a party. I'm going to have, you know, all your best friends there. It's going to be extravagant. You've seen my sweet 16 party. Like, no, like it's going to be bigger. MTV is going to be showing up with cameras. It's going to be a, like, that's the kind of party I throw. He says this to the older son, my son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. You want a cow, son? I'm going to get you a cow. You want a robe? I'm going to get you a robe. You want a ring? I'm going to get you a ring. Uh, What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And this week I was convicted because you know the reason the older son didn't get anything? is because he thought he had to earn it and it never dawned on him to ask. How many of us in here tonight are sitting on the outside of God's party because we either think that we don't deserve it or we think we have to earn it and we haven't earned it yet. And he's like, I got a party. Like, why aren't you coming in? Just come in. The Evites are out. The invitations are out. Come in. My party is good. That's how good his grace is. We either don't think we're good enough or we think we need to earn it. My last point tonight is this. Everybody's invited to the party, and there's enough party to go around. Everybody's invited to the party, and there's enough party to go around. I want to ask you the question again. Are you sitting on the outside of God's goodness tonight? Are you sitting on the outside of his grace tonight? Because I guarantee you that you can take a step into his party, and there's 20 more houses of party to go. And maybe you need to take a deeper step in. And there's even more to discover. And maybe you need to take a deeper step into his goodness. And there's even more to discover. What I think Luke 15 is trying to point out is that there is goodness waiting for you no matter which side of the tracks you fall on. You can be someone who feels like you don't deserve it. And guess what? You don't. You don't deserve it. And yet, he has a party for you. And you could be thinking that you have to earn it, but guess what? You can't earn it, but guess what? There's a party waiting for you. Years ago, um, (laughs) this is embarrassing. I was in an acting troupe, um, and we did a play called The Single Ring Dingling Circus, and I was a clown. (laughs) I know, right? Can you picture me as a clown? I know. Um, So, I had my outfit and I had my paint, um, my, my face paint, and so what I would do is I'd make money and I'd go to children's uh, parties when I was in high school, and I'd make balloon animals and I painted faces and I was dressed up like a clown. And um, there was one time where I went to this little girl's party and I ordered a bunch of balloons for balloon animals. I show up to her party and it's at this beautiful park and it's a princess party. And so I'm making balloon animals, you know, flowers and, and all different types of hats, you know, for these girls. And um, pretty much everybody has um, their balloon animal. And it's at a park and so pretty soon some like random kids, right, who like, who like aren't at the party, like they're not in princess gear, they start showing up and nobody cares, everybody's all good, right? And so I start making balloon animals for these kids. 
And I, I had so many of these balloons in the back, like it didn't matter. I could have made birthday girl like 30 balloons. I could have made like kid that just showed up from the swing set. I could have made him 30 balloons. Like it didn't matter. There was so much abundance. I, I had balloons to take home. Like I had balloons for days. <laughs> and I think sometimes we look at God's blessing and we think about our dreams or our hopes or our ambitions or the things that we want in life or the things that we hope for in life and we either think we don't deserve them or we think that we have to earn them and God's like, no, 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 no. I'm your dad. Why don't you just ask me? I have enough balloons to go around. Everybody's invited and there's enough party to go around. I'm an abundant God. I'm a giving God. I'm a good God. My goodness goes on forever. I'm a graceful God. I've got enough for you. I've got more than enough for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. And in fact, you can't deserve it and you can't earn it. And so would you just enter in? Would you just ask me for the party? And I was convicted this week that I need to begin asking for bigger influence. I need to begin asking for bigger dreams. I need to begin asking for the desires of my heart because I can't earn them and I don't deserve them, but I want them and he's my dad. And so... 2 Corinthians says this, and if everybody would stand, I'm just going to read this over you. God can pour out blessing in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the wind, giving to the needy and reckless abandoned. His right living, right giving ways never run out. They never wear out. He's the most generous God who gives seed to the farmer and becomes bread for your meals. He is more than extravagant with you. With every head bowed in here, I want to ask two questions. First question is this. I'm believing that there's a ton of people in here tonight who maybe you've been far off from God and you didn't understand that he's loving, he's been waiting for you. He's been sitting in his home, just looking out the window, waiting for you. You're the heart that he's been waiting for. You're the face that he's been waiting for. You're the person that he's been hoping would come home. And you've come home and you've come in here tonight and God wants to know, do you want to be in my house? Because I would love for you come into the party and you've never welcomed Jesus but tonight he is welcoming you and he sent the invite into your heart and tonight I'm just believing that there's a ton of us in here who need to receive him for the very first time and if that's you in here would you just slip up your hand high and proud tonight one two three up in the air amen 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 number two there's a whole bunch of us in here who were late with either the younger son and thinking we don't deserve it or maybe like a whole bunch of us church folks in here, we actually think we need to earn it. And God wants to tell you tonight, you can't, you can't earn it, but I still want to give it to you. And tonight, maybe with your hopes, with your dreams, with um, the fullness in your heart, with peace, with grace, with whatever is lacking inside of you, he wants to meet that need tonight. And if that's you, just raise up your hand and say, God, I want to ask you for some things tonight. God, I haven't asked you for the party. God, I haven't entered into the party. Just lift him up high, lift him up high, lift him up high. God, I want your party tonight. God, I want to know you tonight. God, I want to enter into your rooms tonight. I want to know your goodness tonight. Lift him up. Amen. All over the room. God, thank you so much. I pray over every single person tonight. I pray for the people who received Eva's life. I pray for the people, God, who um, are just asking for your blessing tonight. And I just pray that all of us would understand that you're more abundant and that you give extravagantly.
And God, I just um, seal up tonight in our hearts in worship. Just teach us, God. Um, Speak to us individually. We love you so much. We praise you because you're better than we deserve and you're better than we can earn. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Let's worship.